invite you to give a warm Redeemer thank you to the worship band this morning. These are, uh, these are volunteers that love Jesus. They love this church, and they give a lot of their time, show up very early. Uh, Jordan's one of our lay, unpaid elders, and just really grateful uh, for a whole bunch of people at our church that love the church and serve the church well. So thank you to them uh, this morning. Um, real quick, a couple pretty important things that I wanted to cover before we jump into 2 Corinthians. Uh, first off, welcome. Glad that you're here. The cold front is here. Summer is over. We did it. We survived. Praise the Lord. Uh, don't forget to enjoy it uh, because summer is coming. Um, but welcome. So glad that, that you are here. If you are brand new, uh, maybe this is the very first time that you've ever come to join us at Redeemer. Uh, we are so excited and honored uh, that you're here. But maybe also you've been a few times, a few weeks, a few months. Uh, but if you've never let us know you're here, that would be very uh, hopefully helpful for us and uh, helpful for you. A quick way that you can do that is text CONNECT uh, to the number here on the screen and we'll send you a digital connect card. Uh, we want to know who you are, want to be able to find out how we can help uh, serve you, meet any needs you might have, and connect you really uh, to the life of the church. So that's what will happen uh, when we get that card. We'll try to figure out how we can help serve you. Uh, also, if you do not get our announcements weekly, every Sunday morning, uh, we, get, uh, we send out an email and a text message with the things going on. Uh, at Redeemer for the week. So if you want to get those, you can text info to the same number. And uh, just if you're not on that, you'll know if you didn't get a text or email in the last hour, uh, then you're not on there. Uh, it will just bless my heart if you do that. So text that. Um, also, just a real fun celebration that we had our uh, first service on our new property last Sunday evening. Uh, we were calling that Advanced Commitment Night and Ground Dedication. I wanted to show you two quick pictures. Uh, a few hundred people came out to uh, worship with us and serve, and it was super fun to be there and to just uh, really pray and think about what God might do uh, on that property over the next many generations. Uh, and it was just, uh, it was a really special time. Uh, we had a cross out there, and a lot of people uh, were kind of uh, taking some pictures and uh, thinking about what it means to do gospel work in a new location. So we're really excited about that. Uh, it was incredibly fun to watch kids playing on the dirt mounds. Um, the last thing Keith said when we closed was, uh, don't get on the dirt mounds. All they heard was, get on the dirt mounds, and um, they had the time of their life. I think at this point, uh, th those dirt mounds are shrinking every day because they're pulling that back out. But at this point, I believe that's the highest point in Midland, Texas. So if you want to take advantage of that, uh, you only have a couple days left to go enjoy what we are calling Mount Redeemer. Kind of has a little ring to it, doesn't it? Uh, don't get used to it. Uh, Mount Redeemer is shrinking. Um, yeah, just uh, really fun to be out there and to see things begin to shape up and take form. Uh, which leads me to my announcement about next Sunday. I can't explain how monumental and important next Sunday is, uh, not just in the life of the church, but in the future uh, of the church. Uh, we have our Commitment Sunday next week. Uh, hopefully you know, and this is not new to you, that we've been walking through uh, just what does it mean for us to shift from being a portable church to uh, building a building and uh, just really are blessed by what God has done and given to us. And so next Sunday, uh, a few very, very important things. Uh, first off, if you have not gotten one of these booklets, uh, let me encourage you to get one. Uh, this not only has information about uh, just kind of the details of what we're doing and why we're doing it, why we're building uh, it also has a lot of stats and information to help you understand the need for this move, uh, but also this has the um, 
uh, a place for sermon notes as you uh, listen each Sunday. So sermon notes for today and next Sunday are in here, and even discussion questions for uh, your community group if you are in one of those. So let me invite you to grab one of those today. There's some in the back. There's plenty in the lobby, um, and that will be helpful for you preparing for next Sunday. Uh, but next Sunday is the Sunday morning. This is not an evening service. Uh, this will take place during both of our morning services that we will get a chance as a church family to make a commitment for this two-year project. And so I want to encourage you, if you didn't get one of the commitment cards when you came in or uh, in the last few months, uh, to grab one of these on your way out to spend some time thinking about it, praying about it, uh, you will receive hopefully uh, an email from us with uh, a video that explains just what the commitment card is about, what the project is about. But as a church, if you're ready, uh, and I know so many of you are, I've heard from literally uh, hundreds of people so excited about this new season uh, and being able to be involved in something that will have eternal impact on people's lives. If you're ready, we invite you to have this card, have thought and prayed and wrestled with the Lord over this and bring this next Sunday, and we're going to commit to this project together. And also, two weeks from then, we'll have a time on uh, November 12th um, to celebrate, just kind of update and celebrate uh, together what God is doing through that. So, all that makes sense? Are you excited? I hope that you're excited. If not, come help with uh, set up and tear down next week, and we will get you there. All right, let me invite you um, right where you're at. Let's take a moment and let's bow and let's uh, let's pray that the Lord would speak to us uh, through His uh, very very powerful, His living, His active Word through His Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we love you this morning. God, we're so grateful that we have. Uh, just a chance to respond to you and who you are uh, and what you have done for us, what you are continuing to do in our hearts, in our lives. And Father, I just pray that you might stir us up by your spirit as we open your word this morning together. I pray that it would point our hearts and our affections towards Christ. We love you and all of God's people said, all right, let me invite you uh, to turn to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. Uh, if you've been around for a few weeks, that is no surprise to you. Uh, this is week four uh, of a five-week series uh, walking through 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. And what this is, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a teaching out of this pretty potent text uh, where Paul is dealing with what exactly is gospel-centered generosity. Uh, and I want to every week, so you just know you're going to get this again next Sunday, uh, to, to kind of lay out for us why are we talking about this, why is it important for us to see what the Lord has to say about this. Uh, and I got five different uh, reasons. Some of these are a recap. Uh, obviously, we have a building coming, and we're excited about that, uh, excited about the future ministry that means, but we don't want this whole process uh, to be just a financial thing, but rather uh, we want it to be a, a discipleship thing thing, and there's so much in the Bible about uh, having a gospel-centered or Jesus-driven generosity. So we want this, uh, this season to be uh, really driven by a gratitude for Jesus and an understanding of the gospel, uh, not by guilt or this compulsion that we feel like we need to uh, give. It, we want it to be driven by people that are really excited about what Jesus has given us uh, and at what we think he wants to do in the city. Uh, number two, this is a huge part of discipleship. 
you just like we've talked about this uh, I think every week that if you are a disciple of Jesus you're a Christian you're committing your life to following him uh, a big portion of that has to do with what we do with our money uh, Luther Martin Luther said it best he said someone is not truly converted uh, until they've gone through kind of three conversions a conversion of the mind what we think and how we think has to change a conversion of the heart what we feel has to, and what we love has to change. And then he says a conversion of the purse, or for us is a conversion of the pocketbook, that what we truly value has to change. And if we're on a journey uh, to truly follow Jesus, we can't get through that whole journey without really looking at our possessions and how we uh, deal with that. Third thing is that both Jesus and Paul uh, really seem to believe that you can't separate money and discipleship, that those two go hand in hand. And if you truly want to know uh, what's going on in your heart, the quickest way to get there is to start thinking about what we do with our possessions. So it's incredibly important for our discipleship. Uh, number four uh, is, and we've talked about this again multiple times, we greatly admire people who are generous. We greatly uh, admire just the idea of someone that lives with open hands and uh, just has a trajectory of, of giving and others-centered. And though we greatly admire and most of us desire uh, to be that kind of person, statistically, most of us really struggle with actually uh, becoming who we want to be. Uh, and like, this is the perfect place to find out how do we actually live with open hands uh, and become like the people that we, we really want to be. Um, statistically, the more we have financially, the more an American has, the more an American struggles with generosity. Statistically, maybe that's you, maybe that's not you, but uh, it's important for us to talk through this. And then number five, uh, we just want to reiterate over and over um, that this is something driven by the gospel itself. Uh, guilt trips, you know this, guilt trips, they don't make generous people. Uh, they can raise money some ways, but they don't truly change people's hearts. What changes people's hearts uh, is a deep understanding of the grace of Christ uh, and the gospel itself, and that's what we're after. So today... Uh, Paul is going to share some principles and promises that have to do not with just giving money, but that have to do with a true heart that's changed, uh, that, that becomes a generous heart. He's going to share some principles about that, uh, some promises about that. Uh, so just a bit of a recap, Paul has been on a fundraising journey. Uh, he's raising some funds for uh, the Jewish people that have endured a lot of suffering through uh, a, a severe famine, and they're hungry, and they uh, are suffering, and they're poor. And so he is going around to Gentile churches, uh, raising some money to send it back. And one particular church that had already committed to this project was the church in Corinth. Uh, Corinth was much like Midland. It was a boom town, really strong economy, a lot of people graduating from college, so to speak, and moving there to find jobs, uh, and, and a pretty young city, pretty wealthy city, and they had committed to Paul that they wanted to be involved in this project, but they had not yet given. Um, and, and so Paul is writing this portion of 2 Corinthians uh, because he, he wants to teach them what true gospel generosity is, and don't miss this, uh, because this is somewhat of a theme for this morning. He wanted them to find something that they had missed in their discipleship journey that some uh, really poverty-stricken churches in Macedonia had found, and that is joy. 
uh, there seems to be a really tight-knit connection from Jesus, from Paul, with a generous heart and finding a deep sense of joy. The Macedonian churches had found it. The Corinthian church had not. Paul wanted them to experience that. Uh, If you missed the last three weeks, I don't do this all the time, but I do think it's helpful uh, for you to go back and to catch those podcasts. But uh, in uh, just a couple words, week one, Paul talked about uh, what does it mean that we're driven by grace, Uh, that once we realize that everything we received is from the grace of of, of God that, that changes the way we view our possessions. The second week we looked at uh, just the example of the Macedonians that they gave themselves first to the Lord, hence the name of this series. And what that means is that Jesus got the very first place in their heart and everything else flowed from that. And then last week uh, we looked at just what Jesus has done for us, that though he was rich in heaven, he laid that all aside, came to earth, became poor so that we might receive all of the riches in Christ. And with that in mind, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, if you're there, say ready. All right, I'm going to move fairly quickly uh, through verses 1 through 5, which are important context, but he really lays out the principles beginning in verse 6. So he he talks about first in verse 1 of chapter 9, being really proud of this church in Corinth that was on board, they had made this commitment, he says this. Now, it is superfluous. Uh, Great word, you should use that this week. It's very underutilized. It is superfluous. It's unnecessary for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. That's the the fun project that he is raising money for in Jerusalem. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia. So he's like, you're, you're ready, you're excited, you're willing, and I've actually been telling other churches, and it has encouraged them as well. He says, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. Uh, Paul had shared about the willingness and the excitement of this Corinthian church to other churches, and it stirred them up. It got them really excited because there's something contagious about someone uh, that's, uh, that's willing to, to share, somebody that's willing to live a generous life. In verse 3, he says, but I'm so excited. You're willing. You're excited. You're ready. That's inspired other people. But here's one small concern. They were getting cold feet. They were having second thoughts about whether they actually wanted to follow through with their commitment. He says, but I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and they find that you're not ready, We would be humiliated and to say nothing of you for being so confident. And you have to love Paul's openness. Like he's he's pretty pointed. He said, I'm sending a team ahead to to talk with you, to uh, work through some things because uh, I'm just nervous that if these Macedonians show up and they know that you've promised to help and the Macedonians themselves with severe suffering and affliction, they gave to this project when it hurts. I mean, it costs them something deep. And it says if they show up and they find out that you've changed your mind, it's like, well, that's not going to be good for us, not going to be good for you. So he's sending a team ahead of them. Verse 5. So Paul says, I thought it necessary to urge the brothers, part of his team, to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance the gift you have promised 
so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. So basically, this church had committed. Now they're nervous because they've got other options and ways to spend their money. And so Paul is really going to zero in on some principles and some promises as they're wrestling and struggling with what does it look like for them to sacrifice and be generous towards this project. Uh, And he he starts out with the principle of sowing and reaping, verse 6. So here's the principle, here's the point, and it's so easy when Paul just kind of lays it up for you and you wonder, like sometimes you work through a text and you think, well, what's the main idea? What's the main point? Just a little hint, if Paul says, here's the point, boom, we found it, right? It's just, it makes preaching a lot easier. Sometimes you may uh, endure through one of my sermons like, yeah, but what's the point, okay? Uh, We got it here. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. He is using a farming analogy, obviously, which would have been very accessible uh, to the audience. Most people in the, in the entire world at that point would have an understanding of, of a farming life in this analogy. Uh, maybe not so much today uh, because we've just got a very different society, not an agrarian-based society. So maybe uh, we don't catch some of the very obvious parts of this analogy. Uh, I, I, I grew up on a farm uh, just outside, just west of Amarillo, uh, Texas, and uh, we raised wheat and ostriches. And contrary to popular belief, you only put one of them in the ground, okay? You, like you plant the seeds in the ground. The ostriches don't put their head in the ground. At least they didn't on our farm. The ground was hard. Maybe knock themselves out if they try to do that. Uh, but So I love these analogies. I love uh, when Paul or anybody else starts talking about uh, farming. But I, I want to present to you based on this Uh, This principle that he just shared, two different scenarios. Okay, scenario one, uh, picture this. This is farming example one. Are you all excited about farming examples? Have any of you ever tried to grow anything in Midland, Texas? Last year, I couldn't couldn't even grow squash, uh, and it is bad if you can't get squash to grow. Farming example one. Uh, Someone goes out, and they have 640 acres, one section, one square mile. One mile by a mile, and it's already, uh, the ground has been prepared, it has been uh, cleared, it has been plowed, it is ready to plant. And let's say you show up uh, during the time to plant, and you have one small bucket of wheat seed. Uh, and you go out right to the middle of the field, and you stand there, and you have just enough to kind of scatter, uh, you know, maybe a, a 10, 15 yard Uh, diameter perimeter around you and you scatter that whole thing uh, and then you go back home and you pray for rain uh, and it rains and then you show up when it's uh, time for that to have grown and it's harvest time and you walk out, what should you expect? Would you show up with 10 semi-trucks ready and prepared uh, for a harvest over this entire square mile? No, why? Because there's a direct correlation between sowing and reaping. If you only sow so much, there's only so much seed that can grow. Farming analogy number two. You take the same piece of land, one square mile, one section, uh, and you walk out and you use, uh, you know, 50 to 75 pounds of uh, beardless wheat seed, which is about the right ratio if you're using some type of a seed drill and you're getting it down into the ground a lot, right? 
hundreds and hundreds of pounds, and, and you spend your time, and you cover the entire thing, and you go, and you plant every square foot of that plot, and then you go home, and you wait, and you pray for rain. Maybe you turn the sprinkler on, and you come back when it's time for harvest. What should you expect? A bountiful harvest. Why? Because you sowed a lot of seed. This is what Paul is saying. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. It's just, it's when you think about it, it's very basic that uh, the more seeds you plant that's sowing, uh, the more crops you have that's reaping. That's the principle that Paul is talking about, and that's not new to Paul. Uh, in Galatians, Paul uses um, the same analogy, but he, he's not actually talking in Galatians about finances or generosity. He's talking about uh, living our lives to the Spirit or living our lives to the flesh, but he says the same principle applies. Galatians 6, Paul says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And so what you, you find is that this is a principle that God has woven into a lot of different places of our lives. It's just true. What you sow is what you reap. It applies to a lot of things, but Paul applies it here uh, to the idea of, of having a generous heart and being a generous person. Um, we'll look at a little bit later, but that does not always mean, and you know, we've talked so much uh, the last couple weeks and probably will every week, that what Paul is not saying is, okay, well, if that's true, what I need to do is try to give as much as I can so that I can get as much as I can, okay? We'll deal with that in a moment. Uh, but then he moves on from just kind of the principle of sowing and reaping, that there's a direct correlation uh, to the heart and the motivation behind a person that wants to live a generous life. Verse 7. And, and just as a reminder, Paul's main goal, I don't think, for the church in Corinth is financial. I think his main goal is for them to have their hearts deeply changed by the gospel and to ex experience subsequent joy. Verse 7, so each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. Any uh, bowling fans? Like, not watch bowling. I don't know if anybody watches bowling. There's nothing more boring than watching bowling. My wife would say probably watching fishing would be that boring. But anybody like to bowl? No, I haven't bowled in a long time because the last two times we went, my wife beat me, so we got to change gears for date night. It was not good for our relationship. It goes both ways. We're both very competitive. Uh, a bowling alley, right? A bowling lane has a gutter on each side. Uh, so it doesn't just have a gutter on the right side where you can be like, oh, I want to avoid that one, so I'm just going to go a hard left because then you find out uh, there's a gutter on the other side. Some of you are thinking, listen, we play with bumpers, right? Maybe you do. There's no bumpers like this in life. This is what Paul is saying. He's like, if you, if you want to, to live a, a, a truly generous life, there's two gutters that you have to pay attention to. One, he says, uh, reluctantly, and the other side is under compulsion. So gutter number one is reluctantly. The word just basically means aversion, hesitation, or unwillingness. Okay, this is somebody that's like, I just, I just don't give. I just keep everything I am blessed with to myself, and I'm reluctant to give. So Paul's like, 
you, you got to give what's decided in your heart, but be careful that you don't land on this side reluctantly. Okay, but he says gutter number two is under compulsion. And that means like giving out of guilt or getting out of a sense of like I, I, I'm trying to do this so that I get something in return. Paul's like, well, compulsion, reluctant, they're, they're two gutters on the same side. So what does it actually look like uh, to live your life right down the middle, like strike, right? Spare, whatever you want to use. What he's saying and this is so, so powerful. For God loves a cheerful giver, which is what the Macedonians were. They were poor. Financially, what they contributed did not probably move the needle much on the project, but it sure caught God's attention, Paul's attention, because what? Because the attitude behind it. They were cheerful and excited about being able to make a sacrifice for someone else. We all know this, that attitude matters just as much as action, okay? Attitude, and this applies to a lot of things in life. Attitude matters as much as action. Let's say that you have kids, and let's say that those kids were born as sinners. Anybody? Uh, this, I, I'm pulling this analogy from somebody else's house. This would obviously not happen in my house. This was actually Strebeck's house. This is an analogy from them. Let's say you have some kids, and uh, one of them sins against the other one. And, and it's so bad, you sit down, and you're like, okay, you need to go apologize. And so the perpetrator kid goes to the other kid, hypothetically, and says, sorry. I mean, I'm sorry you get your feelings hurt so easy. And then they look at you and like, I did it. <laughs> and you think, really? But really, but really, did you do it? Why? Well, they went through the motions. They said the right things. They apologized. But like attitude matters a great deal because attitude reflects your heart. Like why is it so important that, that Paul says God loves a cheerful giver? Because it's, it, it's not so much the amount. It has to do with what's taking place inside of us that, that shows whether the Holy Spirit has really changed us. It's really opened our hearts and opened our hands. I spent so much time on this. I want you to catch this. Uh, God loves a cheerful giver. And if you take that and you connect that with the idea of sowing and reaping, okay? Hang with me. Write this down. If cheerful givers are cheerful reapers, then what are grim givers? Grim reapers. I was so proud of myself. My wife loves Halloween in October, so that is a gift for her. Why? Okay. Why is this so important? Why does God love a cheerful giver? And I, th I think the answer to that gets at the very heart of Christianity, okay? And, and I'm, I'm setting finances aside. I think finances reflect something, but the reason that, that we should strive to be generically generous people and the reason that God loves a cheerful giver, someone whose heart and attitude has been changed, it, it's at the center of Christianity, and this is what I mean by that. When, when a human being is born, 
The, the Bible is very clear that we are born in sin. We're born with the sin nature. And a, a huge way to understand that is that we have a bend in towards self, that we are very self-centered. Uh, we were born that way. We're, we're very self-focused. The Bible would call that pride. Like pride is the problem of humanity, and the essence of pride is a rejection of, of God and a bend in on self. And as you mature as a human, like you just put a timeline on, that doesn't change. We just become better at maybe being selfish. Maybe we can hide it a little better. But what the only thing that changes the focus from inside to outside is the gospel of Christ. And so the point of Christianity is like to, to, for, for the gospel to change us from being focused inward, one, to being focused and, and, and worshipful of Jesus, and then obviously the second commandment is like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So the shift is from a, a selfish perspective to a, an, an others-focused perspective from pride to humility. Okay, don't miss this. If someone is born again, truly believes the gospel of Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in, what happens is that that forces our affections outward. I mean, this is, is this not Philippians where Paul says, have this mind in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he talks about like, don't just look to your own needs, but look also to the needs of others. Like, like that's what the gospel does. It pushes us out to actually care about other people. The best way to see if that is happening is your finances, is it not? Like, stop me when, I, when I'm wrong. But like, the, the best way to see is if, if, if we have a problem with generosity, if we have a problem and we just hoard everything and we struggle with, uh, with, with reluctancy, normally, not, not every time, as a general principle, that there's a deep selfishness, a self-centeredness uh, in all of us that's driving that. And you find someone that is living their lives with open hands, being generous in a variety of ways, what you will find is the gospel has turned their attention towards others, that they love others more than they love themselves. That is a massive shift, and that's at the, that's at, that shift uh, is at the core of, of what it means to be a Christian. Let's keep going. Verse 8. So there, there were some, some principles, okay? Now here's a promise um, that, that Paul gives to Corinth, which applies to you if you're in Christ. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he's distributed freely, he is given to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. What does Paul mean when he said God is able to make all grace abound, and why is he saying it? Because I'm sure uh, the, the Corinthians, as well as you and I, when we have an opportunity to live generously or to give something, time, energy, money, whatever it is, uh, we're, we're always at this fork in the road between fear and faith. Uh, and one of the things we wonder is like, well, will I have enough to actually take care of myself, uh, take care of my family, take care of my future? Like, will I be okay? Will I be safe? And what Paul is saying is, listen, 
God is committed to you as a father is committed to his kids to provide your needs. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. Consider the lilies. They don't toil or spin. Consider the sparrows. They don't work real hard, but God provides for them. Surely God can provide your needs. That's what that means. So having all sufficiency in all things at all times. Paul is saying God is committed to make sure that you have what you need. Now, can we all agree there is a big difference in what we need and what we want? Does God say, I will give you everything you want? Okay, parents in the room, you have kids, you're committed to giving them everything they need. We're not committed to giving them everything they want. Why? Because some of the things they want would be detrimental to them. We know more than they do, so we give some wants, we withhold some wants. But the promise here is that, like, God's committed to taking care of you. Okay, well, what's the other side of that coin? So that, he says, so that you may abound in every good work. As God takes care of your needs, here's the idea that, that we live with open hands so that we can be, what does he say? Full of every good work. That's an others-centered, good works towards other people. God promises to take care of our needs. Our job is to abound in good works as opportunities arise. And then as God blesses you, blesses us, we turn around and we become a blessing to others. Verse 10. Here's the purpose of that promise. Okay, the, the kind of we're getting to the end game of why God has set up these principles to govern our world, why we should be driven by the gospel to live open-handedly. Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower. So back to the farming analogy. So God, who, who gives seed to the, to the farmer and bread for food, that's the, the, the crop. When the crop grows up and yields, then you harvest it, and then you have bread for your family to live on. And bread for food will supply and multiply seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So back to the farming analogy. And I love this because it really does help express uh, the very different responsibilities that we all have with being managers and stewards of money, okay? Number one, uh, we have a responsibility. Let's let's tease out the farming analogy. Um, The first thing, if you're a farmer and you go out and you take all the seed and you sow very generously, it's a good year, you reap very generously, just a huge bumper crop and you've got a lot of seed. The very first thing you were invited in the Old Testament to do uh, was to take your first fruits, right, and give it to the Lord. Right, the first part of the crop, the best part of the crop was to give back to the Lord. That's just giving. That's an option uh, for us to use our money for. Number two is you would take some of that and you would feed your family, right? You would now have something that your family could eat. You could have bread, and so you would give some. Uh, you would live on some. The third option is that's all you had to try to bless others. Let's say a farm down the street had uh, some kind of uh, crazy infestation or pestilence or a fire, uh, and you had enough that you could not just give to the Lord, not just live on, but actually share with others. Uh, And then the fourth is you had to save some. You know, it's not like our day where you can go to the co-op and you can buy the seed. You had to actually save enough seed uh, so that you have enough to plant for next year. So I love this analogy because it talks about like there's a lot of different things that we should be doing with our money all the time. 
I mean, I, th- I think consistently we should be giving, we should be living, we should be sharing, we should be saving. And God's saying through Paul, as you're faithful in those things, that uh, he will make your food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. The principle is this, as you're generous, all of those things grow together. You get to uh, give more, you get to live more, you get to share more, you get to save more perhaps. And then here's the end game. Verse 11, the purpose of God's generosity towards you, okay? This is important for us living in Midland, Texas. We have a lot of blessings, a lot of resources. An honest question to ask yourself is why has God given you so much? You know, maybe we don't feel like we have so much because someone uh, down the road has more, uh, but we, we have much. So you, you zoom out on a grand global scale, we've been given a lot. Here's what Paul says, verse 11. And you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Okay. Why? Why? does God choose to bless and give an increase and be generous towards us? Not just so that we can increase our standard of living. That's a real temptation to just take all the extra and just keep raising our standard of living. Uh, You could phrase this like be be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, not just to raise our standard of living, uh, but to consistently raise our standard of giving. And hear me out on this, not as a reward for generosity, okay? It's, it's so important to understand. Paul is not saying, like, listen, God's going to bless you in every way as a reward for you being generous. Like, that, that's, that's kind of wandering into some prosperity gospel. Oh, okay, well, all I have to do then is be as generous as I can, and God is, is obliged and compelled to have to give me more, and the end game is for him to give me more so that I have more, right? Like, that, that's, that's not what he says. It's not the reward for generosity. It's for the purpose of generosity. Y'all see that? Got quiet, real quiet all of a sudden. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Why does God bless us? So that we can continue to be a blessing to others. So that we can live generous life. Here's the end game. Which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. There it is. The end goal of people who have... Like the, the, the gospel has changed us from just bending on self to think about others and realize, oh, God has given me things so that I can try to live a generous life and bless others so that at the end of the day, we will produce thanksgiving to God. Like that's the end goal is for everybody, the giver and the receiver, to, to, to be grateful and thankful and bless God who gives all things. That was the same with Christ. You think about Christ's humility, and we, we talked earlier about this connection between uh, generosity and joy. Okay, so I want to turn away from thinking about us and thinking about even us trying to uh, learn to be generous people and live generous lives, and let's turn as we do every week our attention to Jesus. Okay, Jesus believed there is a connection between generosity and sacrifice and joy, namely his generosity and sacrifice towards us and our joy. 
Hebrews 12, 2 says this. You can flip there real quick or you can catch it on the screen here in front of you. Paul says, or the writer of Hebrews, looking to Jesus, so he says the same thing, like let's turn our attention for a moment just to Christ. He's the founder and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I thought about this text quite a bit this week. Why was Jesus willing to, as we saw last week, to empty himself, to impoverish himself, to move from all the riches of, of heaven to the rags that he endured, even the cross? Like, why was he so generous towards us? Why was he so sacrificial towards us? Well, he says the reason he did that was for the, the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Are y'all with me? Like, we can't miss this. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Because he connected his generosity with our joy. Like his willingness to give up all things, his willingness to, to, to go to the cross for your sins, my sins, our brokenness, our guilt, our shame, his generosity became our joy. And I love the parables where Jesus talks about uh, like the moment that we get to be with the king. And the, the, the picture is like, what has Jesus purchased for us with his generosity? And I love how a lot of these parables end. It says, now enter into the joy of your master. Why, like what, what happens through the generosity of God and the generosity of Christ? It has purchased for us an eternal joy with God. Like that's the, that's the, that's the link. That's the source of the, 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 the connection between generosity and joy. So the, the big question is, have you embraced the generosity of Christ? The grace of Christ, the forgiveness of Christ, the cross that he endured. That was his moment of generosity towards you, was dying in your place for your sins so that through his sacrifice, through his generosity, we might inherit the joy of God forever and enter into the joy of our master. We can talk about our generosity all day. I think it's much more important to talk about the generosity of Christ towards us. That's the thing that truly changes people's hearts. Give us that, like, like God, give us as a church, as Redeemer, that mind which Christ had, which is ours in Him, that turns our attentions out, moved by the gospel of grace itself. Over these last few weeks, uh, we have heard so many different stories and people wrestling with things and discussing things, uh, and it's just been encouraging to hear different ways that people are processing through this. And I wanted to share a quick video with you this morning uh, that is uh, a little bit of the story of the Bradfords that were wrestling through uh, much of their life and learning what does it truly mean uh, to be driven by joy and to find joy in giving. So let me invite you to turn your attention to the screen, and let's be encouraged by the Bradford story. We're the Bradfords. Uh, we've been at Redeemer for six years. My generosity journey was uh, in, in the in the earlier in past years or in past times. I have actually struggled with uh, with giving, um, and I think it was because of a uh, 
scarcity, a fear of scarcity. I have started to realize just how rich we are in Christ, and that's taken away the fear of scarcity for me um, and allowed me to be a little bit more uh, to, to give out of faith instead of giving out of fear. I knew that um, giving should be a very joyful thing, and I wasn't there always, um, but in my, um, just my journey to um, just know who Christ is more, um, the joy just came, and it is, it is an absolute um, joy and thrill to be able to serve, um, to help others, and just to give of our resources. Um, just seeing um, evidence after evidence of God's grace and God's faithfulness um, throughout the Bible and then being able to see that in our own lives, um, the connection um, with that and then our feelings of how we changed about um, serving and um, giving of our time and giving of our money. Um, I think there is a definite correlation between that. Giving is actually um, a form of worship. Uh, we were talking about uh, one of the Psalms that talked about that and how to be able to actually see giving as worship again changes the your, your, your outlook for what, what giving really is when you realize that you're just, you're giving back in response to something God's already done. Resonates with many of us. Uh, but what, what I want to do in these next few moments is the band's going to come back up and we're going to have some time to respond. And, and this is what I want to invite you to, uh, to think through when we respond. I want to invite us to shift Okay, so maybe we've been thinking about like things internally and things that we hope for ourselves and hope to become. Uh, and I want to just invite us to shift from that uh, and to spend this response time just truly thinking about what Christ has done for us, uh, what he has uh, done on the cross in our place, and let those things seep in where they become uh, just a response of worship. Okay, let's focus on Jesus, let's focus on who He is, what He has done for us, and let's worship Him and celebrate. So let me invite you where you are to stand, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. God, we need you desperately. God, everything around us in our culture and even internally with our flesh is bending us towards looking inward when the gospel has invited us and called us to look outward and to look to you. So I pray, Lord Jesus, in these next few moments that you would turn our attention and our affections and our adoration to Jesus Christ, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, stir up in our hearts a deep sense of gratitude and worship for that. And I pray that you are blessed and truly honored in these next few moments as we sing. We love you, praise you, we thank you. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.